Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And Peyton Jones. Together again. Woohoo! <laughs> we took a week off. You didn't notice that because we just played the webinar, but we took a week off. Yeah, we did. We did. But funny enough, we missed each other by about 30 minutes at Phoenix Airport the other day. That is pretty funny. You know, That's and I almost said, because uh, you texted me that picture. <laughs> well, I don't know. Should we tell the whole story? <laughs> Probably not. Oh. What happens in Phoenix stays in Phoenix. Well, yeah, it's a great airport. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> I was sending funny pictures saying that I could tell that Pete had been there. And uh, I was like, leave me a sign. Leave me a sign that you've been there. And I'll find your sign in the airport. Because I'm texting you as I'm in Bakersfield, of all places, getting ready to fly to Phoenix. What? Why in the world did you fly from Bakersfield to Phoenix to get home? Because that's where Bakersfield flies to. No, but why didn't you just drive? It would have been quicker. Oh, it it would have. But check this out, right? So I've been I've been on holiday the week before, but then I have to fly from Miami all the way to San Diego. I do that. I get home, but then I gotta drive up to Huntington Beach to pick up the kids. Because you couldn't take them on holiday, right? Of course not. And uh, I, I was given a free vacation by the Baptist uh, Energized Ministries. So publicly, thank you, Energized Ministries. And uh, anyways, and, uh, and I hate you, Energized Ministries. What, <laughs> what's up? No love for hey, the Pete. Hey, you may be Reuben's pastor, but you actually apparently I'm no one to, else's. You have to be <laughs> other people's pastor to get this cruise. That's so anyways, it. I'm starting my own church. It's the Church of Pete. <laughs> no hugging allowed. <laughs> No touching. I'm going to call it St. Pete's. Yes. St. Pete's oh, Flippin' First Baptist Church. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who listened to last week's, you understand Flippin' First yep. Baptist. Flippin' Church of God. So here, here's the deal, right? So I, I got I to gotta go pick up the kids, but I have to be in Bakersfield by 830 the next morning for a meeting. So I'm thinking, how am I going to do this? So there was no flight that could get me in at 830 in the next morning. And I haven't seen my kids, so I'm not going to go spend another night. I've just seen them, literally just seen them. So I get up at like 430, drive up to LAX, rent a car from LAX, drive up to Bakersfield. But I'm thinking, now it's two and a half hours, right? away but i can either drive for two and a half hours or i can fly back for four hours and get some work done so i decided to fly back for four hours instead of drive for two and a half because if i hit any kind of traffic getting through la which you know where you're gonna right um i'm, I'm gonna be heading back during rush hour 
So I'm like, I'm just going to fly. So anyways, Bakersfield Airport does not go to a lot of places. I'm just letting you know. (laughs) That's because smart people don't go to Bakersfield. I will not argue with you there. My whole family is from Bakersfield. That's why I can say we do have listeners from Bakersfield. My family's there. I've been there. There's nothing there. Nice airport doesn't go anywhere, but nice airport, I got to say. But the whole time I'm in Bakersfield, I got a smirk on my face like, why am I here? (laughs) Who comes here? But, oh, my gosh, dude, did I go to a nice barbecue? Because, you know, I get to go eat lunch and, you know, I get to eat, man. When I'm on these trips, I I have a corporate travel You were on American, weren't you? You were on American. What? You flew on American Airlines, didn't you? Yeah. You know how I know? Because when you sent me that picture of the children's area that was all in shambles and you're like <laughs> you said you can't, i can't say it no <laughs> well anyway you sent me a picture and you wondered what i had done to the children's area i was thinking to myself i was just there like literally i was just Whoa. there dude i was so bummed because i'm getting i'm like I had forgotten you're in phoenix i'm like i'm texting you like hey man you know you're like yeah i'm still in phoenix and I'm like, I'm heading there in like 30 minutes, man. Yeah. No, I got your text literally as we were like landing in Long Beach. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so I got to fly back. Then I had to go to LAX, pick up my car, drive back down to San Diego. It was fun. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't understand you. I just had to get to the meeting. The only way I could do is a rental car. But I'm like, I'm not driving all the way back. You know, I'm going to fly. I'm not going to sit in traffic, man. Who paid for it? <laughs> I think that smirk tells me everything I need to know. I'm thinking, you're too cheap. There's no way you would pay for this. Well, I had a lot of work to get done, that's for sure. Well, going on vacation will do that to you. I mean, I was I was in Phoenix for business, but that means I was out of the office for three days. I, I came back yesterday and... Jamie's like, oh, can we go to Disneyland or some crap like that? And I'm like, are you out of your mind? I've just been out of the office for three days. And I hate Disneyland. I'm not going there. That's funny. Yeah. (laughs) Get it out. Get it out. Get it out. Yeah, so I'm in the Bahamas and I get sick. What's up with that? That's nasty. No kidding, right? So uh, almost got arrested in the Bahamas. That's not good. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't good. Why did you almost get arrested? <laughs> Decent. I uh, no, but we didn't. It was funny. We were at uh, this gift shop, and um, we kind of we bought like an excursion. I was with the, the pastors. I'm here with Oceanside. That's how I got the trip was through them. And uh, we were getting ready to go to, uh, you know, we we did this thing where we we go and pet the dolphins. It's kind of like you you get down into the water and the dolphins swim up to you and you interact with them and you know they communicate because they're aliens. I don't know if you know this. They're from space. That's why they're so smart. Hey, I've and, seen uh, Star Trek uh, for the Voyage Home. Exactly. Dolphins so they're aliens, and whales, baby. Dolphins and, I, and whales. Yeah, I was communicating with intelligent life from other planets in the water, and it was pretty cool. It was ripping hot. But uh, we passed Eddie Murphy's island. He owns an island in Bahamas. So that was kind of funny. I'm surprised he hasn't lost all of his money. He seems like one of those people who would have lost all of his money. Yeah, he does. But maybe he paid off the island. Can you mortgage an island? Oh, I mean, why can't that, you? All you got to yeah. do is find a bank that will give you money. I guess. You just picture when someone buys an island, they don't mortgage it. They just like put cash on the table. Here's See, $15 million for my I was talking with this last week, and I'm like, look, I want to buy an island. And they're like, oh, there's some for sale in Canada right now. I'm like, no. I want to buy an island and have a treaty with the – the country that currently it falls under and say, I am buying this away from your country. It's now going to be its own country. Well, in, in two sentences, I've gone from, uh, alien life, dolphins <laughs> going to jail and Eddie Murphy on an Island. So I should probably wrap this up. And then we should probably announce today's topic before we get into yet more smack talk, which we do have. Well, yeah, we do. And, uh, you can, Skywalker's a Sith. Skywalker's a Sith. <laughs> yeah, baby. So, so here's the deal, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm talking with the dolphin and, uh, they, they're supposed to kiss you for pictures. And, uh, the dolphin actually, uh, it kisses everybody on the cheek. But when it comes to me, the dolphin, like you're just supposed to stand still. 
Dolphin comes and puts his mouth on my forehead, like he's kissing my forehead. And so everybody's like laughing and the trainer's like, I don't know what he's doing. Like he doesn't, he knows to kiss your cheek. Like, I don't know what he's doing. And so it became kind of a joke with the other pastors. I'm like, Hey man, I got, I got blessed by a magical dolphin. Like, you know, that's just, that's just heaven's kiss right there on my forehead. Go in peace, my son, you know, that I've blessed you. And uh, so, you know, it was cool. I got to walk around for the rest of the day feeling like I was pretty special. And then, so we go to this gift shop and um, Andrew is, you know, just buying, you know, gifts for people back home. And we're in this like kind of cool little uh, village. It was, it was, it was pretty neat, man. But what happened was she had reached for a journal that uh, I guess when she reached for it, she knocked a picture frame. She didn't knock it off the shelf. She just turned it. And so the wind, the cross breeze blows through the shack and it, it catches the picture frame. She's like, you know, foot or two back now. She's looking through the journal with both hands. It's, you know, it, it had been moved like, you know, seconds earlier, maybe 30 seconds, 15, whatever. And uh, the crosswind blows through and knocks this thing off the shelf. And so I'm outside with the other guys and Andrea comes out and goes, hey, hon. Scrolls <laughs> behind her. And, and Andrea's like, hey, um, hon, the woman, I might need your money because the woman says I knocked the picture frame down. I didn't, but, um, and I, I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said to the girl, I go, look, uh, if my wife said she didn't do it, um, she definitely didn't do it. So, and Andrew explains it to me and I, I go talk to the girl and I said, well, look, you know, I, I, I can see it costs $7. I'll give you half the money. She's like, no, I'm going to have to pay for it. My boss will make me pay for it. Well, then I start getting some compassion, but then she shows me, she's like, it's $21. Well, you know, you go in there and you haggle with people, right? Right. So now I'm mad. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not giving you $21 for this thing. Like, I, I understand that your boss is going to shaft you, but we need to work something else out because I'm going to leave. I got to go and I'm not paying you 21 bucks. And so what happens is um, she goes, well, no, you can't. She goes, here, call my boss. And I go, Andrew, don't talk to her boss. She's keeping you here until security gets here. We'll throw down half of what it's worth. Because it, it was literally like something you get at Walmart for a dollar. Right. You, you can imagine the curio shop, right? So <laughs> Andrew's on the phone talking with the the owner, who I guess is like 45 minutes away. And is like, I'll come down there and talk to you. And I'm like, Andrew, it's let's just go. Frame. You know, we've given him money. What? It's a frame. It's a total. It, it, and so our joke was we were framed. Because... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, hon, she's just keeping you on the phone. Let's go. I put some money on the table. Let's go. And uh, anyways, Lay's like, you can't leave. It's, you know, she's a girl. She's like, you can't leave. Security's coming. I'm like, let's go, hon. Anyways, this man mountain walks like in a security suit, like around the corner. <laughs> and Andrew, I go, come on, let's go run. <laughs> Andrew's like, I'm not running. I'm looking at that. I'm like, I can outrun that dude. Anyways. So uh, Andrea starts walking. He's like, can you come here, please? He's huge. He turned out to be a really cool guy, and he had a great sense of humor. And uh, he could see, like, we didn't do it. But, you know, he's he's got to work with him. So he's like, he's he calls the owner, and he's like, how much do you, you know, he's like, look, what's your cost on it, you know? And, and, and so we had convinced him we didn't do it. But I said, look, I don't want this girl to have to pay for it. So, um you know, like we'll pay what the cost is. It it was the wind and he got it, but we're like, but look, you know, her boss probably ain't gonna understand, so we'll pay a piece of it. But um Anna is just still laughing. She goes, I can't believe you told me to run. <laughs> like I came around the corner. And I'm like, I knew where I was going. I was going over there, you know, I could totally outrun that dude. And she's just laughing, like, I cannot I'm so glad I don't listen to you in life, man. Check, please. We would have because a guy did tell us, he's like, look, man, I, I'll have to call the police and then you'll end up in jail and all that. And I'm like, oh, I don't worry about that. I go, my, my, my ship doesn't leave till midnight. So I go, I just make a call to the embassy. We'll be cool. Don't worry about that. <laughs> That's funny. So it was pretty funny. I got a buddy down there who's a big wig. So you could have called me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. He was in my mastermind group for several years. 
Yeah, right on. It was funny. The guy I was I think super his brother funny. was like the, whatever they call him, the prime minister or the king. <laughs> I don't know what they've got in the Bahamas. I don't remember. Well, I didn't tell the guy. It was, he probably heard me say run, but, you know, it, <laughs> but he had a great sense of humor. I mean, he was funny because Andrew is like, she's kind of like on the principle. She's struggling with it a bit. And I'm, I'm just thinking of protecting her. But, uh, but the, 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 she's like going, oh yeah. So I got to pay for this broken curio that, you know, and the, and the security guard goes, Hey, I wanted one of those all my life. (laughs) (laughs) So he just kept us laughing and we're like, he's cool. You know, we don't want the girl to get in trouble. It was pretty funny. I still think we should have ran. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious, man. So, um, what's today's topic? I guess. Uh, preaching. <laughs> yep. It's preaching again. And, uh, is that it, was a good wild guess there. Babe. Is it, is it, uh, <laughs> the preaching awakens <laughs> episode seven, baby. You got it. <laughs> Which launches us into our topic. What do you think? Is that actually launches into our topic or we don't know our, our, our smack talk topic, the real topic. Oh, okay. Well, hold on a second. Well, let me tell you something, brother. Now that it's that part of the show where we talk smack, what you going to do when the church planner podcast runs wild on you? I'm going to embrace the force. And speaking of running wild, I've got the perfect match between, between the two topics, between smack talk and Jedi. We got a review. I think I sent it to you. This was unlike the two-star <laughs> review that we got all those months ago. The one two-star review. I still get bitter about that. It's so funny that I still care. So anyway, this is from, uh, I, you know, some of your guys' names on iTunes are just hilarious to me. This is from Parent to Parent. And uh, so anyway, headline let's, is. Let's just talk Parent to Parent, shall we? The headline let's just is. just have a talk. Just Parent to Parent. Come on, rap with me, Parent. I knew uh, Peyton back when he was a gifted teenage Padawan, but now that he's a bearded Jedi master, I'm even more impressed. And Pete rocks too, in a more hand solo sort of way. Woo! <laughs> I'm not a church planner anymore, but I serve in other outreach ministries and love to listen to these guys for general inspiration, ministry insights, and hilarious laughs. Thanks, Pete and Peyton. There's smack talk, a little bit of church planner talk, and hijinks ensue. And I'm just saying, I've been given the Han Solo Award. Woo! I run, run, run. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, baby. There he is. So that's all I'm saying. We got ourselves a good review. So what do you think? Luke Skywalker or Sith? What's up? Uh, you know, I, I predicted this. I predicted this. You think... I, what do you think would happen to people if they made... Luke Skywalker evil. No, you can do it. You can totally do it because the whole thing of Star Wars is it's all about redemption. Redemption of someone who goes over to the dark side. It can happen to Luke. I don't know. I don't think the public could take it. Because in the comic, back in the 90s, they did a comic called Dark Empire. And Luke actually goes over to the dark side because what happens is, and I know this isn't canon in the movie world, but it was George Lucas canon. Like he stamped it. Oh, and, get, uh, get, George Lucas was after money. You keep going, oh, he approved this. No, he was after money. Yes, but he made the entire world up. So <laughs> regardless, it was Lucas approved. So he, here's the deal, right? He He literally, Luke... Luke goes to the dark side and becomes the emperor's apprentice because the emperor, even though he falls down the hole, it just eats his body up because he's like, you know, electric boy. Um, he, he kind of floats around his energy. Well, what the emperor had been doing anyways was making clones. You know, remember how he says, you know, he found a way to cheat death and all that. He could transfer his energy just like Qui-Gon becomes a blue spirit dude. The Sith has their own way. And so he transfers himself to a clone. And so he comes back as this young guy. And that's how he keeps living forever until that clone body ages. And so Luke goes and becomes his apprentice so he can take him down from the inside, learn all of his secrets, 
dismantled the empire and it's called dark empire. And Luke actually is kind of evil. You know how Anakin gets that look? Luke gets that look. So it's possible. Mamma mia, that's a spicy meatball. I missed him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it was funny because I was reading all these articles and this guy was like pointing to all this evidence in the original trilogy that Luke goes to the dark side. Uh, you know, Yoda goes, uh, if if you walk down this path, you know, forever will it dominate your life. Remember when he, if you leave now, you, you're going to turn yeah. to the dark side. And yeah. so he leaves. And so Yoda says to Ben, um, you know, now we're worse off. Or one of them says we're worse off than we were before. Yeah. And he's like, no, there is another. And, you know, alluding to, you know, now Luke is now on the path of the dark side. Yeah. And Leia will bring him back and Leia will bring him. Well, or Leia will kill him and, and yeah. Save the, no, uh, see now that we cannot handle Leia killing Luke. Yeah. We can't handle that. I can't, I, can't I, I don't that. think I can handle Luke being a Sith. Yeah. But here's the deal, right? Like he kind of was though. Like if you go back to empire, um, he, when he goes into the cave, and Luke says, I you still know, don't get that. I've never understood the scene oh, of the cave. Okay, well, <laughs> let me explain it. <laughs> Luke? Lukey, you got some explaining to do. So here's the deal Luke goes in there and he says, You know, um, what's in there? And Yoda says, Only what you take with you. Well, Lucas, you know, Henson, Lucas, all those guys, they were hippies, man. They they had this whole idea of like light and good, yin and yang, all that. So what it's pointing out is that Luke sees as he fights Darth Vader and, and, and you know, his head, his mask explodes, you know, and then he looks and he sees his own face. What he realizes there is that I could be my father easily. I could turn to the dark side. But he didn't side, know he so. was his father. Huh? He didn't know he was his father at that point. Uh, not yet he doesn't, but he realizes I could be Darth Vader and I have enough dark side in me to where I could become him, you know? And so that was kind of the, the, the implication there. And now if you, if you go back, let's say Luke, Luke does become a Sith. Now you can reinterpret that. Cause remember Lucas had three movies that he was going to do after the original trilogy. He wanted to go back and do the prequels then his plan was to do seven, eight, nine, and he just he just didn't do it. But here's the deal: let's say Luke goes back, but he gave and, us, you know he he gave us Jar Jar, and I mean why, for that, we're why didn't he do seven, eight, nine? Like why didn't he start all this early? You know because he really he he really was good for one movie, and that was it. And he would have literally screwed up everything else had they left him in charge of Empire and Jedi and probably everything. I mean, Empire had Spielberg's hands on it, even though it wasn't right. a a Spielberg movie. It, I mean, they were such tight buddies that Spielberg was helping. Yes, he saved have, him. He saved him. Yeah. Then you had Lawrence Kasdan, who was the screenplay writer, who also is the, like, that dude's amazing. Anything you track with him, that guy was an amazing screen screenplay writer. And then you have... He's coming back for this one, which I'm really excited about. So he wrote Empire, basically. So now you got um, he's on this one. So I think we're I think we're in for some good stuff. But now if you go back to that cave scene and, and Hector Mora, by the by the way, I'm sorry, because what does Hector Mora and Jimbo Balaam do in moments like these? I got a bad feeling about this. But, you know, here's the deal is now if you go back now, that scene has new meaning where the helmet pops open and it's Luke's face. If he goes to the Sith, now that scene's going to make a huge, huge amount of sense. Do you think he would have a red lightsaber? Oh, yeah. He'd have I think, to. I think, it, now, I don't know that when I say I predicted this, I didn't predict it was going to be Luke. But I just had a feeling that the because you had two villains whose faces were covered, you have that Phantasma, which, come on, that's the lamest name ever. Captain Phantasma? No. I didn't no, know that was dumb. his name. but Yeah, and the BB-88 droid is because he looks like, two BBs and the letter eight stacked on, on top of each other makes a letter eight. So BB 88, come on, that's lame. So, uh, I'm not, I'm not thrilled about the names to be honest, 
But uh, but anyways, failed um, me for the last time. Is it is it Plo Koon or whatever his name is? The what's his name? Ky- Kylo Ren. Yeah, the bad guy. So Kylo Ren. Um, I don't know, man. Like I, He's I got just a cool have outfit. a feeling. I'll tell huh? you, his outfit is cool. His whole face it's is way mask. cool. Yeah, yeah. But but that guy, I I had a feeling when they first showed him that he was going to be like a reveal, like when you learn his identity, kind of like when you learn that Darth Vader was Anakin, Luke's father. I I just had a feeling they're going to, because look, someone's arms definitely going to get chopped off in this movie. Somebody's going to say, I have a bad feeling about this, and most likely we're going to have a, a bad guy reveal. You think that I don't know that it'll be revealed in the first movie. Interesting. Well, what are, what are the reasons that they're saying that it is Luke? I don't I don't fully understand. Well, I just know we haven't seen. They're his saying face yeah, they're saying the evidence is um, you don't see Luke in any of the trailers. You don't see him on the poster. The poster has literally everybody on it. Right. And no Luke Skywalker. So huh. since Kylo Ren is on it, they're like, that's Luke. I don't know, though, I, because Luke, just seeing Luke the first time, I would love if that's a reveal. If we don't get to see him until the movie, that's what I'm most looking forward to is seeing Luke. Well, see, I, I think that'll probably be the case because yeah. I, I, I don't know how I would feel if they made Luke a bad guy. I'm saying they could. I actually don't think it's Luke, but I think it's somebody like originally I was like, it's it Lando. It's Lando, it isn't be. it? What's that? It's Lando, isn't it? <laughs> Disco Lando. Remember those claymation shorts? Disco Lando. Dude, you got to watch uh, the Lego Star Wars on Amazon. <laughs> oh, they're hilarious, man. They're hilarious. The best one right now, they're coming out with Droid Tales. They're up to like episode four. Wow. Droid Tales is just comedy. It's, really? It's really good. It's really funny. It's awesome. I keep wanting to shoot like clips of it and sending it to you. I know. I, I, so I'm on the Bahamas and when I can finally get, um, you know, internet, I keep getting all these <laughs> Star Wars Lego clips sent by Pete, you know. <laughs> hey, they were good. I figured yeah. you would get them whenever you got back to civilization. Absolutely. That's all I'm saying. Calm down, Italy, 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 Italy. They did their best. Shoddily, Italy, Italy, Italy. Gotta be nice. Hostility, Italy, Italy, Italy. <laughs> we should probably absolute best clip ever we should probably actually get into our topic today we probably should man anything else any other smack talk well i do have a little something welcome you are this week's episode of the church planter podcast is brought to you by <coughs> oh mo give <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you a little something, something, Peyton. <coughs> okay. Have you been thinking about getting your church started with online giving? <coughs> yes. Have you been using PayPal as a cheap and easy placeholder? Yeah. Stop it. A better solution is here. MoGive. I wish I could burp it. M O G I V. Sorry, Kent. Please don't tell anyone about this week's commercial. Please, please don't talk to your bosses. A better solution is here. It's MoGive, spelled M O G I V dot com forward slash church, which is where you should go to learn more. <laughs> That's all I'm That's saying. Quickest one ever. It really Done. is. M O G I V dot com forward slash church. Don't forget the www dot. That's so 1990s. Come on. I know. Great, Scott. It's time for this week's topic. So now that we've got all the smack talk out, we got our Star Wars out, we got our MoGive commercial out, let's actually get on with the topic, which uh, is preaching. Oh, yeah. What are your thoughts on preaching? Lay it down. Lay it down. I don't have a lot to say about preaching, but uh, <laughs> it's only the seventh week. <laughs> the pulpit awakens. That is Ooh, today's. There you go. Yeah, baby. That's what I'm naming this episode. The pulpit awakens. But w- so we're going to have to make up episode names because we will venture farther next week than any man has ever gone. Any Jedi, anyways. Okay. All right. We're blazing the path of the Jedi next week. I dig it. 
So, uh, so here's the deal. We, we kind of ended talking a little bit about, um, you know, we talked originally about uh, delivery and heart preparation. Then we talked about, you know, uh, your, your pulpit presence, your illustration, the uh, delivery of the sermon. And I want to talk a little bit about some of the content of the sermon. And then we'll probably wrap up the entire series um, and maybe next week talking about how you prep for a sermon. And there are different ways. But I want to talk today about something that, that preachers really struggle with. And um, that is application. Um, uh, often, and in, in it's particularly uh, younger preachers that struggle with this, where they will uh, preach and they maybe they've been to seminary and they were taught how to exposit, but their sermons come up a little bit dry because they don't understand mm-hmm. that application is something that 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 you shouldn't have at the end of every point. Application should be hardwired through all the way, and um, the application is. You know, there's nothing wrong with laying out the principles and doing the exposition and then having application because actually, to be honest, that is going to be the easiest way. But I mean, don't hold it all at the end of your sermon. Um, don't. So, so in other words, there's no problem with having a pattern of like exposition, illustration and application, but you shouldn't have it so that you spend 25 minutes on exposition uh, with a little bit of illustration, and then the last few minutes are, okay, what to do with all of this? That's just really lazy uh, preparation, and it's very poor delivery because your people are sitting there the whole time, kind of like a junior higher in math class going, how am I going to use this? What, what does this really matter? And so your job as a preacher is to show its relevance the entire time to real life. So, for example, what what I love, my my favorite preacher is uh, Lloyd-Jones. And what I used to love about reading Lloyd-Jones was it doesn't matter like what topic or what verse he's on. Almost every time he'd start off and he'd go, the verses I'd like to call your attention to today are found in the seventh chapter of Matthew. You know, and that that's how he would he would introduce it. But always his next statement would be something like, Today, we're going to talk about a topic that is probably one of the most important things a Christian can ever consider. And it didn't matter what he was going to be talking about. It was always one of the most important things or the chief thing, you know, to him, because he had immersed himself in that topic and been interacting with it, um, it became big to him. And it was a big topic. And I think when you approach the pulpit that way, as if this is one of the most vital truths my people can hear, um, it's going to be contagious and infectious. And so your application should be worked. So so the job of application towards the beginning of the sermon, towards your introduction, is to show them why that's going to be important. And that's what Lloyd-Jones did. Now, he didn't do it by illustration. He would just say it. And I think his energy and, you know, he would paint a picture from the scripture then. But sometimes what people do is you drop them into that or you tell a story. Um, what Jesus would do, we, we talked about this with illustration, is he would talk about something they knew, some problem they had. Like your sheep wandered away and everyone in the audience is like, yeah, that, that really sucks when that happens. But they're immediately transported into the, the the story and then Jesus is going to bring out dang it that was a long train your train dude what's up I know it's the high speed train from TJ so so basically I don't know if you can hear that in the background but uh, I've got noise outside my office my door is wide open <laughs> but uh, anyways what happened was um, Jesus would transport them into the story then they would immediately start feeling that that Oh, hi. Huh? You want? Okay, now I got a little thing. Tell me she wants more of a donut. <laughs> well, this is just turning into a fun little party today. Don't, don't you hate when that happens when you're preaching and all of a sudden your two-year-old comes running up to the, uh, Hey, I want some donut. <laughs> Here, kid. Here's some donuts now. Go on, beat it. Scram. 
Here, here, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, uh, I'll give you a couple of seconds to finish that donut. Well, thank you, sir. Walk on the road. Hmm? Walk right side, safe. Walk left side, safe. Walk middle, sooner or later, get the squish just like grape. Here, church planting. Same thing. Either you church planting do yes. Church planting do no. You church planting do guess so. Just like grip. Are you back? I'm, dude. I'm totally back. But uh, I gotta say, I um, I find that is great wisdom. Church planting do, <laughs> or church planting do not. Do no- or do not. There is no try. <laughs> <laughs> so. You know, one one of the things that uh, Kierkegaard said of Hegel, the philosophers, he said that he explained everything in life. You're just trying to show off, aren't you? (laughs) I've never read either one of those guys. I remember when I was reading Kierkegaard in college and uh... (laughs) I was drinking fine imported brandies and reading Soren Kierkegaard in college, smoking a fine broadleaf pipe. Wearing your tweed jacket, and uh, we were at oh, Oxford. I, we were at Oxford at the time. Hey, I never told you that when I went to seminary, I sat in in a class where my teacher looked just like Burns from The Simpsons. I literally made a guy in class. I made coffee come out his nose <laughs> because he he would stand in the front, and I'm not even joking. He looked. I can't say who it is, but he's actually kind of well known. But he he would uh, put his fingers together. Um, you know, kind of like an apex, like evil geniuses do. I'm doing it so you can see it. What do you call that? It's like a, it's a power gesture. You know, like when the, when the boss sits like that, he makes a pyramid with his hands. Uh, okay. It's like you make spiders do push-ups, as if your hands are spiders. You know what I'm talking about? I understand Put what you're talking about. I think it's kind of crazy, but go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he would do that, and he would he would stand there like that, and he'd go. He he'd be asking us questions about theology, and people be answering, and he go, yes. Yes. And I swear to you, I would see flashbacks of Burns going, yes, Smithers, you know, a hand gesture, everything. And so I drew a picture of Mr. Burns standing like that and slid across a desk to to my buddy. And literally he was taking a drink of coffee and coffee shot out his nose in the middle of class. And he started laughing. I had to hide the piece of paper. But uh, that guy actually mailed me a tweed jacket so I'd be ready for seminary. I thought that was hilarious. That's great. Now, now, do you remember where you were before you went off on that? I do. Do you remember where you were before you saw the squirrel and decided to go chase the squirrel? <laughs> hey, man, you started it. I did. I finished it. So Kierkegaard said of Hegel that he explained <laughs> everything still, in life. That, <laughs> <laughs> there's a line that you never would have thought would have ever been said on our podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go on. Well, now, now that you've interrupted me again, now it's so ridiculous. Go. You just mentioned like, oh my. Anyway, go on, go on with your story. What did Kierkegaard tell? Now, whatever you now, the other dude's now name I got to go to Monty Python. Oh, I digger, I digger. You know, you know the one Aristotle. Aristotle was a beggar for the bottle. Remember the Australian no drinking song? We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. <laughs> oh. Old Descartes was a drunken old fart. I drink there before I am. Remember the drinking song, the Australian drinking? They take all the philosophers and they make no. them all drinkers. Oh, man. Can we get a soundbite of that? Because I would love to play that. Oh, yeah. It was great. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Let's let's go back. We're not in smack talk. Let's go back to your, your topic. Oh, I, I, but anyways, Hegel's in there. So my mind automatically goes to that song. So anyways, this is what he said. Um, okay, let me just put it this way. One smart guy said of another smart guy. <laughs> Jeez, I got to take a leak so bad I can taste it. That he explained everything in life except for how to get through an ordinary day. And I think that's... <laughs> yeah, sorry, we totally ruined the whole punchline of that. We kind of did. But, but here's the deal. You can have your sermon in the same way where... You're talking about the Greek, and you're talking about all this stuff, and you're wowing and amazing uh, other seminarians. Uh, But really, you're not impressing the single mom in the chair in front of you. You're not impressing the guy who works in the 
at the tire store down on the corner uh, who comes in and, you know, he doesn't really want to. You're not impressing anybody when you're preaching like that. These guys are wondering how to get through an ordinary day. And so if you preach well and you're doing your job as a preacher, if you're if you're like Lloyd-Jones, consume with the truth what you're talking about, the next response from your people is going to be like the people asked Jesus, how shall we then live? What they were asking for was application. How shall we then live? Um, or, uh, you know, uh, when Peter preached on Pentecost, it elicited a response of the heart that said, you know, what must I do to be saved? Give me something to do now. Um, I've heard these amazing truths. How should I live? What should I do? And that is application. So preaching, if it's done properly, elicits a response from the listener. And if if our people are not feeling that, then we're not compelling enough in our preaching. I love how Whitfield used to say when they asked him, what was the secret to your preaching? He said, I preached as a dying man to dying men. And what he meant by that was, I don't waste time. Picture, you know, like uh, Robert Harper, the guy who's the preacher on the Titanic. When he when he uh, was drowning, um, he was preaching to other people in the water who were drowning. And he literally, with his last breath, he went under the water preaching. And he came up, you know how like the cartoons, they do the sinking ones right, and the right. fingers come up. He literally, in between sinking, his arms are too exhausted, he'd come up and he'd keep be preaching, it's not too late, it's not too late. And uh, survivors in the boats, this is documented, this really happened. Um, his name was Robert Harper, he's a Presbyterian minister. And um, he just preached until his last breath. They literally said that he went down preaching um, in his final breath. That last time he came up, went down preaching. Well, imagine what that dude was preaching. He was not wasting time. And when Whitfield said, I preach as a dying man to dying men, he literally is saying, it's like I only had a few breaths uh, left and I have to make them count. Hmm. And so I think that uh, when you're talking about preaching, it, we, I've hit on this, but but I feel I got to hit on it again, that you've got to make that Sunday count. You have to respect, not like they say in marketing, right, Pete? You have to respect your people's time. You have to give them value. And if you're not doing that, you're wasting their time. And that is disrespectful Mm. to waste someone's time, either as a marketer, but especially as a preacher. I got to write that down. Disrespectful (laughs) to waste their... No, because I'm I'm literally writing that down because... (laughs) Why are you laughing? Because I'm I'm just picturing you going, hey, remember that time on the podcast you said? <laughs> remember all that smack talk right in the middle of your great preaching topic? No, but I mean, I think that's a really powerful way to understand not, not just preaching, but I was thinking of marketing. It is disrespectful to waste people's time. Yeah. And 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 I love Gary Vaynerchuk how when he when he says, you know, any pop-up ad, like if I'm looking at something and suddenly like a Jeep you know, or a Chrysler or whatever it is, comes up, he goes, I'm just telling you, I'm not buying their product. No matter what it is, I'm not going to buy it because they've disrespected me by intruding on me and making me press extra buttons. And he just says, I'm done. You know, oh, now my cat's in here meowing to get out. Man, this has been a day. Yeah, but you know, I don't know. I mean, what he's talking about is he's complaining about what we call disruptive marketing we're interrupting what you were doing so we could tell you our very important message, but everything is that way, including uh, a lot of preaching, like even yeah. street preaching would be disruptive. All right. You know, they're, they're There's definitely, they're there for something else. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, I really hope you don't pull over your mic. <laughs> no, I can't. But uh, my cat had to get out, man. I didn't like the dog was in here. The cat was in here. The wife came in. She was tickling my feet at one point. Your wife while I was talking. Yeah. She came in here and tickled my feet. I don't even want to know what I that just means. ignored her. I, I don't even want to know where that's going. She brought me a donut. Then the two year old came after me to get the donut, walks in going more and she's got donut on her mouth. So I had to give her half the donut. 
Can I finish my statement? I'm done. I'm, I'm just saying, like preaching would be disruptive. It were interruptive. Um, I mean, there's a so I don't know that I agree completely with the statement. I think the problem is when when like and and I'm going to relate this back to preaching, but he's talking about like okay, so let's say Toyota comes up with their ad right in the middle of him reading a web page, and I'm not going to buy your stupid Toyota because you're disrupting what I'm doing. It's because the ad is all about Toyota. It's not about Gary. If Toyota had come up with an ad that was like showed him the value and not of their product, but of something that he actually wanted, then he would be down with it. I think it's the same way with preaching. You have to relate things back to people. I mean, look at when Jesus preached, he told stories, right? Parables all the time. And that's how we got people in and you know, really listening and stuff. Yeah. So it wasn't like he just said this, I mean, which he did at times, right? He said, this is the deal, but he, he was, he was basically interacting with people, but getting them into his story. So Absolutely. I think, and, and, and here's the thing sense, of what you're saying. What's that? I said, I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it makes a lot of sense because you're talking about giving people value that if you're giving them value, well, you, you have to give them something valuable um we we kind of arrogantly assume that if we're up there preaching it must be valuable because it's preaching well bad preaching is not valuable um boring preaching is not valuable um it it's a waste of time and it shames the pulpit and so here's here's the deals like when i come out of the pulpit ashamed because i haven't prepped or i haven't been faithful I need to feel that shame because I have shamed preaching. There's a reason why preaching is under attack. There's a reason why people don't believe in preaching anymore because we're not in an age where people know how to preach anymore. We're not in an age in a day where people take it seriously. Guys go up there and rip a bunch of jokes and just shoot the breeze and, you know, they share with people. No, it needs to have a bit of authority, man. It needs to... Preaching needs to be a time like my, my, my friend, um, Phil Swan over in, in Wales. Um, he used to always say this. He would say when, whenever, uh, you talk to him before a Sunday, he would say, Hey, Peyton, make every occasion with your church a great occasion. In other words, what he was saying is make it a big deal. Mm. Make Sunday a big deal, dude. Like, don't treat it like it's a dress rehearsal. Treat it like it's the grand opening or the grand finale. And 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 I get that. And that really stuck with me when he said that. He was saying, put your all into it, man. And um, I don't know. Like, you know, you know, uh, Jesus is the master preacher, right? Um, I, I love the fact, you know, like I said, I don't like people tacking on the final five minutes. But if you read the Sermon on the Mount, um, I'm sure Jesus hit the ball out of the park every single time that he preached, but they sat there stunned at the end. But I, I don't know if you've ever witnessed, I've seen people sit there stunned, like they didn't know what to do. I remember in the 90s, my mentor preached in a mega church in Orange County, um, and, and this was a scripture. I mean, this would not go down well to preach this text. <laughs> it, was, it was Paul in Ephesians 4 where he goes, therefore I insist that you no longer live as the Gentiles in the futility of their thinking. And he, he says, I insist on it. He says, I tell you, and I insist on it. And then Peter goes on to say, and he's talking about these great truths, Christ dying for you, this and that. And he goes, Paul's not suggesting, Paul's not cajoling, Paul's not wooing you. Paul lays the smack down and says, I insist on it. He goes, how would you feel if someone spoke to you like that? But Paul has the authority to do that because of what he's just been talking about. Your response. So this is the application. That's actually the verse that the whole of the application of Ephesians turns on. It's an insistence. And, you know, I don't, I don't think people really understand that repentance, even though we always talk about repentance means the change of the mind, it does, but it's deeper than that. You haven't repented until your behaviors change. Your mind hasn't changed until your behaviors changed. And so Jesus, when he's teaching, your mind hasn't changed until your behaviors change. Yeah. Your mind hasn't fully changed until your behaviors change. That's what repentance is. That my mind is so fully changed about something 
that I really feel this is evil and I will not do it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, see, I got a tough one with that. What about someone who's uh, an, an addict? I mean, are you really going to say their mind yeah. hasn't changed because yeah. their behavior hasn't changed when they've literally got a chemical dependency? The neurons in their brains have been rewired. Well, there's there's a difference between physiological addiction and psychological addiction. And and so what I'm saying is like they actually say that psychological addiction is stronger and harder to to be. You can you can wean someone off a phys- physiological addiction. Um but eventually with the psychological addiction there's going to have to be a change of thought. That's why um there's there's therapies, there's group counseling, there's mentorship, you know, um, sponsorship, all those things, it, it has to be the mind. And if you talk to any addict, he's going to agree with that. He's going to say, oh, it, it was my thinking had to change. Once my thinking changed, then my behavior changed. Then I was able to deal with the addiction. So um, two different animals that, but yeah, I, w- I would say that, that, that that actually reinforces what I'm saying. But here's the deal. Luckily, our salvation is not dependent upon us fully repenting of every single sin. Um, the Bible tells us to repent, but what I'm saying is there are certain sins that people struggle with that they haven't repented of yet. You know, they might behave for a couple of days or they might, but they haven't repented. And so repentance is a deep deal, but it can be a real, real deal. But I don't think people believe in repentance anymore. Um, well, I think expand on that for a minute. What, what do you mean? We live repentance? in an age of addiction. So sure. we yeah. actually tend to believe that the addictions that we that we live under are actually stronger than the power of the Holy Spirit. So when it comes between the battle of flesh and spirit, I believe that the majority of the church walking around today believes that they have to be under bondage to these things. So when I talk to a kid who says, hey, you know, um, I've been looking at pornography since I was 13, um, boom, boom, boom. First thing I tell them is, dude, you have no hope with a computer in your house right now. Computer needs to go. And people are like, whoa, that's drastic. Well, that's what Jesus said about repentance. He said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. But see, we, we don't, we don't go that far. That was drastic then. That's drastic now. But what Jesus is saying is if you want to repent, you have to be drastic and you have to go hardcore, uh, after that sin. And so, but we don't, you know, and so the, the, it's not popular to say these things by any means, but uh, that's the first thing I say, hmm. you know, Interesting. I always say to him, Hey, you're going to get really friendly with the public library. You know, that that's where you gotta, that's where you gotta do your business now is in the public library. If you're using email and all that, do it there. If you web search and do it there. If you're in school, do it there. So anyways, um, but that that's a whole nother topic. We're getting off topic, but it, it still goes to application, I suppose, really to, to emphasize what we're talking about. And you don't stand up there in the pulpit and just say it very simply, like, you just all need to repent and blah, blah, blah. Like part of preaching is taking people through a process. You know, if I'm preaching Romans, I'm going to cover all of this. I'm going to cover that in Romans 6 where he says, therefore, don't yield the members of your body over to be instruments of wickedness. Paul talks to the believer like, you're in the driver's seat here now, pal. Used to be your passions were in the driver's seat, but now you've been raised to life. You have the spirit of God in you, but people don't even know these gospel truths. And so this is our responsibility as preachers. If, if I were not a preacher, if I had not been someone who studied the word of God in depth, I may never have realized that I could be liberated from those addictions, if that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah, huh? that's interesting. So anyway, so going back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus didn't just, um, if you if you read that sermon, his application is woven all the way throughout. If you notice, there's doctrine. He's illustrating, he's uh, teaching doctrinal things, but he's also giving imperatives. So imperatives are things he's telling you to do. So if you look at that, it's filled with don't do your good deeds before men to be seen by them. That's an imperative. For I tell you that those who do so, now he's going to give you the doctrine and the reason, but it's constant application. 
Um, don't judge others for I tell you. So there's the imperative, right? There's the command. Um, it's application. He's telling you all throughout what you should and shouldn't be doing. Um, I, you know, uh, uh, you have heard, but I tell you to do this. So, you know, you're, you're hearing all throughout it that there's application. And, um, does that make sense? It does. Yep. So uh, an old Methodist lay preacher friend of mine in Wales sat me down once and he was an older preacher. He's a Methodist circuit preacher. So he would go around to all these churches and he, in a nice way, he kind of told me that I sucked at this. So please understand if you're listening preacher that the reason that <laughs> the reason that that I've talked for eight uh or or what are we on seven weeks it was seven today yeah the seven weeks awakens. on preaching is because I've learned the hard way and you need people sometimes to just take you aside and tell you hey you know you can do better at this and one of the guys and, and at any point in my preaching career someone could always tell me and I tell myself a lot you could have done better at that but he drew me a diagram and on the paper, he made a grid and each he, he let's say he did three vertical columns. Um, those would be uh, three. Uh, uh, let's see, three tactics in my sermon and then coming down uh, horizontally, he did three rows and the three rows would be my my three points. I don't know if I can describe this audi- audibly, but. Um, so going down the paper would be point one, then you move down to the next row, point two, move down point three. What the top on the vertical columns next to my points, he had these words, principle in the first column, illustration in the second column, and application in the third column. And this was so helpful because what he told me is he said, if you prep in this way and you take the passage you draw out the principle, talk about that, illustrate it with something they know and understand. And then thirdly, apply every point. Your sermon will be filled with application all the way throughout and you will carry people. If you can't do that, then you're going to lose people. You're going to bore them and you're not going to involve them. And he said, there needs to be application all the way throughout. And, uh, and I thought that was really powerful, but he gave me a tool. So when you're making your points, guys, the, the bottom line is this. Make sure that you've pulled, you extracted the biblical principle. You know, what is it actually saying? What is the truth that they can hold on to? Then illustrate it and make it relevant to them or draw them into it or open a window in their mind on it. And then lastly, show them what they can do with it. Show them how to take that to school or to work or whatever. Hmm, I kind of like that. I like formulas like that. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So even if like you could improve your preaching tomorrow just by doing that, just overnight, make yourself probably twice as good a preacher. Man, I really hope that that. I really hope that our pastor will listen to that. (laughs) Just kidding. So, uh, yeah. So anyways, um, Larry Crabb lamented that the theological library becomes for many a hideout form of life rather than a study from which we emerge equipped with God's living truth, prepared to move into the deep part of people's lives. It goes on to say the results are tragic. Churches led by pastors who failed to see the urgent relevance of the Bible to every aspect of life become many seminaries that continue the tradition of retreat and denial behind bold affirmation of orthodoxy. The message in such places is clear. The community of God's people is no place to deal with the real concerns eating away at your lives. We exist to maintain orthodox belief and to promote conforming behavior. Helping you with your personal problems is not the business of the church. And that's in a book that I recommend everybody read. It's by Larry Crabb called Understanding People. And that, that you know, just reading stuff like that is going to really help um, you understand where people are at, what their things are. And then pastoring. Pastoring is going to help you because... Young pastors haven't yet been called out to domestic abuse cases. They haven't um, dealt with people that are shut-ins. They haven't dealt with um, people losing family members or children or whatever, and so or or been called into situations where there's addiction. And they haven't had to suffer with people and, and be invested into the suffering of people. So they they go into the pulpit, kind of in a way, almost not really baptized by life. You know, all of the the pains and heartaches and struggles, 
So that doesn't ever make it into their sermon. They're not actually speaking to people where the people are at. They've, they've just got a head full of knowledge and they can't, uh, wait to get it out. So, you know, just really, I know we're at the end of our time here, but, uh, application is, is something that is the hardest part of any sermon. It's the part you got to strive after just to sum up here. Um, but it will constantly keep people, um, engaged and it will make your, your topic appear relevant. I think at the end of every point, you ought to be asking, Something like, yeah, so what? You know, like, what, why, why do I need to know this? Right. Just picture that they're junior high math students and, and, and they don't, they don't understand why you're telling them. Um, make sure that you're, you're concentrating on that in your preparation. And, uh, remember in the Sermon on the Mount, again, you know, um, even, even the, the, the very end of his sermon, he says, let me tell you a little parable. He who hears these words and puts them into practice. Right? He doesn't say he who hears these words and changes his beliefs. You know, he who hears these words and thinks happy thoughts about them or says, you know, I believe what Jesus said is true. He says he who hears these words and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. So application is woven. There's even an application to apply. I mean, that's what that really is. It's an illustration urging you to apply um, the sermon. It's, ap- it's, it's giving you application to make application of the sermon. And uh, so, you know, that's it. You know, that's all I got on that. I dig it, man. I dig it. That's, uh, that's the pulpit awakening right there. That's what that is. Yeah, or, or the pew awakening. <laughs> Mamma mia, that's a spicy meatball. Check, please. Well, hey, that's all we have time for. But before that, should we uh, speak to the simpletons? I think that's a good point because, uh, Peyton, there's a lot of pastors out there that are really good at <laughs> preaching. Uh, they're really good at uh, reaching their communities, at uh, sharing, um, you know, just just doing life with uh, their their congregation. <laughs> you know, they're like those junior high math students going, when am I ever going to use this? I'm never going to use this. And here they find themselves pastors now, and they can't do math. And they can't. Uh-huh. They, they can't do it. <laughs> and so what's the problem? The problem is they got all this math they got to do. They got to do insurance. They got to do payroll. They got to do taxes. They got to give everyone their tax deductible receipts. They got to do all that stuff, and they can't do it. And that's why there's a solution for them, Peyton. And what's that solution? Simplifychurch.com, my good friend. Simplifychurch.com. Let me say it again. Simplifychurch.com. Dot com. <laughs> hey, let them do all of your math, all of your computing, all of your budgeting, all of your, uh, or at least preparing budget statements for you. You don't have time to do all of that and do all the other stuff you have to do in a church plan. Simplifychurch.com will take that burden off your shoulders. They'll do all the hard, mathy, techy, yucky bit involving the IRS, and they'll leave you to do what you're actually called to do. What? (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, guys, thanks for joining us today for another episode on our, I can't say mini-series, on our maxi-series on preaching. And uh, Pete, let me ask you before we get off here, have we awarded the best review yet, or uh, or do we want to open it up for another week? We'll open it up for another week, but we do have a leader on the board, and uh, we'll actually—I don't even know if that's opening it up for another week. We'll just announce it on the next one. So, okay, cool. So, guys, there's still time if you want to enter it in, and we will read it off on the next episode. In the meantime, why not go over to Facebook, give us a like on our Church Planner magazine, go to Twitter. Go ahead and follow us, retweet our stuff, and uh, if you appreciate this podcast in any way, that's the best way you could repay us. Don't forget to check out Church Planter Magazine, new issue on the stands this week. And uh, last but not least, go to iTunes and leave us a review for that $50 gift card. And, and guys... And, and don't forget, Star Wars comes out December 18th. There's still time to buy your tickets. Well, hey, this has been the Church Planner Podcast reminding you if you want to reach the ones no one's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing.
Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Thank you.